and welcome to Ovenest Energy Talks. My name is Inger Johanna Stenberg and this autumn I'm very happy to be able to share highlights from the ONS conference. You will hear insight, analysis and discussions from some of the biggest names and minds in the energy industry. In this episode, you will first hear from the Prime Minister of Belgium, Alexander de Croo, and then Prime Minister de Croo in conversation with Dr. Amrita Sen, the founder and director of research at Energy Aspects. The discussion took place in the ONS conference session Coexistence in the Energy Market, Monday 29th of August. Good afternoon, everyone. Let me give you a perspective of a, of a, of a politician, head of a government in a, a country at the, at the center of Europe, also at the core of Europe, of course, with so much decision-making happening in, 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 in Brussels. It's not a secret if I tell you that we are living extremely hard times. Extremely hard times for our population, for our families, for our SMEs, for our uh, for our industry. But I would also say extremely hard times for society, for cohesion, for democracy, and for f- free uh, societies. We are under tremendous pressure. We've been under tremendous pressure. COVID was not difficult, not easy. I would say that this is even more difficult. And people who know me know that I am, I am an optimist. I am someone who believes in innovation. I am someone who believes that when we are encountering challenges, that we can find solutions. But I think we really have to open our eyes for the difficulties that our population are facing today. But that is no reason for defeatism. I still believe that despite the challenge, we can do this. We got this. But we will have to find a way in working together and in keeping the long-term perspective, but also dealing with the, uh, with the, short, uh, with the short term. First of all, I would like to, uh, to thank our Norwegian friends. Norway has been extremely instrumental in, uh, in getting us through this, uh, through this crisis. We've been asking a lot from, uh, from you, and, and you've helped the European continent a lot. We in Belgium export, import approximately 40% of our gas imports comes from, uh, from Norway, and we've had a long-standing, very intense relationship. If today we are not dependent on Russian gas, it's because we have Norwegian friends, and in the world of today, it is important to have good friends. If you don't have good friends, you're afraid. Or you join a club of good friends, such as our Finnish and Swedish friends have done over the last, uh, over the last month. And we welcome them, of course, with all our, uh, all our hearts. We'd like to make uh, three points. First of all, is on... Um, on electricity and gas prices. You've been talking a lot about oil, but really what is on top of mind today in our society is, is, uh, is, is, is gas prices. And really, I've tried to look at this in, in a number of different ways, at those prices that are going higher and higher every time. We're not in winter, we're in summer for the moment. The gas storage reserves in Europe have never been higher. We're beyond, way beyond the 80% target that we have put forward. The agreements that we have between each other in helping if we would have a problem, we've never had uh, more agreements than today. Then why do we have the prices that we have today? There is no shortage of gas in Europe today. Still, the prices are sky high. The only reason that is the case is because there's uncertainty. And uncertainty has a high cost. That obviously is the case. But that cost of uncertainty is becoming completely unbearable for European societies. 
And I'm a believer in free markets. You know, I'm an economist, I'm a liberal, I believe free markets are the most efficient allocation of, uh, of resources, except when they're not. And today, I'm very sorry, the free market is not functioning. It is not functioning. Now, if it's not functioning, for me, it's not a religion. I mean, I believe the free market works for the population. When it's not working for the population, I believe that we should intervene. And for my country, we've been ad advocating price caps in the gas market and the wholesale price market for a long time. And I understand all the concerns that could be linked to that. But all the concerns that have been put forward, we already have them today. So the question is, if we already have the concerns being realized, I really think that we should intervene because that cost of uncertainty is really becoming, uh, becoming unburt and, uh, impossible. Now, of course, this is a short-term solution. It's a temporary intervention. I understand that. The question is, how do you solve it to the core? And you solve it to the core because the uncertainty induced by Russia is an uncertainty that has a gigantic cost. We thought it would take us years to disconnect from Russian energy and from Russian gas. If I look at where we are today, it's actually not going to take years. If we accelerate the efforts that we see happening today, it might actually be a matter of months. Now, if it is a matter of months, of course, it's a totally different uh, perspective. I want to be very clear on this. As European countries and with the partnerships we have, we should do everything to take that uncertainty away. Taking that uncertainty away is at a moment saying, look, we do not need Russian gas anymore, and it should be a matter of months. It is possible to do it. In the meantime, and I've pointed to the fact that there is a market failure today in the energy market, of course, we see certain effects from a market failure, and that's, for example, windfall profits. I hope you understand that windfall profits today are extremely difficult to explain to our European public. And I hope you understand that at a moment of this, it is totally logical that European countries or the European Commission would ask a contribution based on those windfall profits. Not to make governments rich, just to help our industry, help our population get through an extremely difficult period. Third, thing, third element, and that's my final point, is what is the vision? You know, last week, uh, when the Belgian press asked me about my perspective, I've been bluntly honest. And I said, look, I think the next five years, and maybe the next 10 years, are going to be extremely difficult. These are going to be difficult times. But we got this. If we stick together, we can get through this. Now, more important than the fact that we are heading for five to 10 years difficult times, if we do it well, it's five years. If we don't do it well, it's maybe 10 years, is the opportunity we have. And we are here at a moment where we have an opportunity to jump forward 20 years in energy transition. Use this opportunity in 20 to really take an advantage of 20 years in new technology that is reducing CO2 emission, in making a jump forward in offshore wind, in jump, making a jump forward in so much innovation that is actually there, but where the economics have been, become extremely attractive to make it happen uh, today. And that's the point I want to make. You know, 71 years ago, after the Second World War, on the European continent, we found a way to stabilize Europe. We created, and the first creation was a European community of coal and steel. 
and after that came Euratom, and after that came the European Community. We stabilized the European continent by making agreement on heavy industry, on energy, and on the economy. And it brought us 70 years of unparalleled prosperity, stability, and peace in the European continent. Today, energy policy is at the same moment. If we want to guarantee prosperity, if we want to guarantee peace and security for our population on the European continent, this is exactly the same moment. If we use this moment as a European continent with all our partners to come to a common policy, to come to a space where investment can take place, where electrification can take place, where investing in hydrogen can take place, where decarbonized fossil fuel can take place, we are at an incredible opportunity moment. But we will only do it if we use this moment to build policy. And I'm sure I can count on you as well, government, but also the private sector, together to shoulder this responsibility in stabilizing the European continent and bringing peace again on the European continent. Thank you. Let me pick up on the very last thing you talked about, private sector, because you come from uh, the private sector. Um, you know, I often find when talking to uh, leaders of different countries, uh, I, I'm based in London, the same, same in the UK as well, there's a real uh, dilemma that everybody wants to go towards renewables, mm -hmm. but they understand the next five to 10 years, there will have to be some more, or at least buying time through fossil fuels, maybe gas. But how do you marry up? Like if, you, if Europe wants security of supply, you need to give security of demand because private sector, the returns can take 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I've seen so many times when uh, companies have been told, sorry, we only need you for five years. And they're like, well, we can't invest for that horizon. So how do you marry that up? Yeah, well, uh, looking at the energy industry today, I mean, you cannot say that there is one type of energy production that has not its concerns. I mean, it's the case with oil and gas, obviously on prices. It's the same with hydro. Mm -hmm. We know that uh, climate change is taking its uh, toll, and it's also the same with nuclear. If we look at the nuclear power plants in France, a big part of, that, uh, of those plants are, uh, have, been, uh, have been stopped. On the Belgian level, what we try to do is take decisions with the long term. One of the decisions we've taken uh, a few months ago was to extend the lifetime of our nuclear plants. These are the two most recent reactors. We've given an extension of another, another 10 years. And this should help to stabilize the environment. We also have organized this CRM mechanism. It's a capacity remuneration uh, mechanism. And the interesting thing is that the projects that have been introduced in that auction, we thought it would be mainly, um, uh, mainly gas plants. Actually, we've also seen battery projects. We've also seen demand management projects. So that's interesting, because if you have a long-term perspective and you're technology neutral, but clear on the objective, and the objective is reducing CO2, you see that a lot of things are happening. And, and, and I think that too often governments have tried to be too directive on exactly the method being used. I think we should be technology neutral as much as possible. I mean, you are way better than we are in estimating what the risk return of a certain technology is. 
But on the objective, we have to be extremely clear, and I think that works quite well. Oh, that's, uh, that's absolutely brilliant, because I think making it technology neutral puts the onus on the private sector, and that's what private sector is very, very mm -hmm. good at. But, you know, in, in Belgium, you've done, I mean, you've been one of the few countries that's been very open about, yes, there will be oil and gas. It has been uh, since, since pretty much the World War. You've got a huge chemical sector. Mm -hmm. You've also got the, what I understand is the largest CCUS project with Norway in, in continental Europe. Um, do you think that other European countries need to learn from this? Because, again, it is about the balancing act, which I think Belgium is an exception and doing extremely well, whereas we've seen the rhetoric go much more, no, we have to just shun fossil fuels and has to be only renewables, but then the risk comes that you are actually creating energy poverty in the interim, potentially. Yeah. And so how do you deal with that? Well, look, we, we understand that if we want to be successful in renewables, and you know, we are a flat country, so our potential is, uh, is limited. We have one natural resource which we use, which is the North Sea. And, and we are one of the champions in, uh, in, in offshore wind. You know, our coastline is 67 kilometers. I think the Norwegian one is 100,000 kilometers. Now, you're not going to use all of that to put offshore wind, of course, but we've been successful in creating a niche there, and our potential, we know, is approximately 30% of our consumption. We can get it from uh, uh, offshore wind in the, uh, in the North Sea. Nuclear will play, uh, will play a role. I'm convinced that in the longer term, I don't see an energy future where nuclear is not providing the base load. I think you will need it in, uh, in, in any case, and we are not a very, very very sunny country, so photovoltaic is not actually helping that much, though actually a lot of people have it on their, uh, on their, uh, on, on their roofs. Fossil fuels are going to play a role. The question is, how do you do it? And there, decarbonizing it is the key element. Um, we are indeed in very, um, very deep discussions with, uh, with Norwegian friends on, uh, on, on CCS. We need that because we know that fossil is going to play a role. We also know it because we have some chemical processes that, that just produce CO2. It's not linked to, to fossil. It's, it's produced to the, um, to the thing that they, are, um, uh, that they are doing. I think that, I mean, one of the things we've learned is that if you want energy security, the more you're diversified, the better you are. Um, but bringing in new technology. And I think it would be wrong to stigmatize one source of energy, but rather say, okay, but then use it as a lever to, to, to utilize certain, uh, certain technology. Our priority is, of course, that we will do the maximum on the renewable. That's our number one priority. We will put everything in place to do it. But we also know that there's a transition period, and in that transition period, there's a lot of technolo technological innovation that can happen on fossil uh, as well. Coming back a little bit to the short term, how concerned are you about this winter? Because you rightly point out uh, gas reserves are well over 84% in Europe. Um, so even with lower Russian flows, and because Norway is made up for quite a bit of it, um, there is a buffer. I think to your point, it's very important to understand it's not just this winter. We are potentially talking about a few. Um, hardsh a few winters of hardship, but are you concerned that it could be as bad as potential like blackouts, or you think Europe is prepared hmm. through the diversity, you know, not just in terms of how the systems are set up, but just overall prepared to what whatever comes to weather that? Hmm. I'm convinced we can get through this if we stick together. 
And that's, that's the key element. If we, as a block, stick together, we can do this. And I think it is quite normal that we, as 27 European countries, at some point, we say, look, those prices which are completely off the chart, which are completely fueled by uncertainty, there is a moment where, as European countries, you should say, that's too much. And, and let's be clear, when we talk about the price cap, we're not going to, if we put a price cap, it's not going to be at the level of a year ago. Sure. But comparing to the rest of the world, looking at the prices in Asia, looking at the prices in the United States, I mean, if we stick to the current levels, we are just going to deindustrialize Europe at high speed. That's not what we want. I, uh, I hope, and that's to the benefit of no one, actually, that we would be pushed into, uh, into a recession in, uh, in, in, in Europe. We've been working uh, since a long time with the European Commission on finding the right, uh, the right uh, tools. We also invest a lot. Mm -hmm. in, in Belgium, we import three times more gas than we use. We are the main import to the, to the German Ruhrgebiet, to a part of France, and, uh, and so on. We will play our role in solidarity, and, 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 and we cannot afford that one country would be conf uh, confronted to blackouts because the impact would be to, uh, uh, to everyone. I'm, I'm convinced that we got this, but then we need action on the, uh, on, on the short term, and then we need to make very clear that the levels of prices that we see, that an intervention there is, is necessary, and it's, it's a bit like, you know, when the stock market is crashing, when we had 2008, when the stock markets are in a downward spiral, what do we do? Well, you have financial authorities who say, whoa, whoa, let's pull the plug for a few days, let everything cool down, and then we, we restart again. I think we are at a, moment, uh, at a moment like this, and one could question if the financial markets today have so many protection mechanisms that's because we've learned from the great crashes that happened at the start of our century. And now we have a very, very elaborate mechanism of, 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 of financial supervision. I'm convinced that after this energy crisis, we will also grow into energy market authorities who are much more reactive than the ones that we have uh, today. Maybe last element I would like to touch upon is on the um, uh, market design for electricity. Yeah. I haven't talked about, uh, about that. The marginal pricing mechanism, there is a reason why we haven't stored it. I think it has major disadvantages now, but non, not only at this moment. The marginal pricing mechanism does not reflect today the advantages that renewable energy has, but also the disadvantages that renewable energy has on intermittence, of course. So the question of market redesign in electricity, I think, is a very pertinent question. Some things need to happen on the short term because the prices are unbearable, but there is also a more fundamental research that needs to be done to better take into account the very broad diversity that we will have in, um, in electricity generation. So I'll tell you this, you've, you know, you're not only the Prime Minister of Belgium, you've also managed to read my mind on two questions I was going to ask you. One of them was no, electricity. Exactly. No. <laughs> One of them was electricity uh, regulation and, you know, the marginal pricing. So I'm not going to ask you that. And I know from your comments that you have compared this to 2008 as well, exactly like you talked about. So what I will end with, the last question for you is actually on energy security. Mm -hmm. I've always felt that for Asia, and that is going to be a big topic in, in 
in the next, next session, energy security has always been number one, right? Energy security you've seen from China, from India, um, and partly because Asia is a big importer of energy. Oil, gas, coal's the only thing they really have locally. Whereas Europe, in some ways, I would feel that it's taken energy for granted. Yeah. Do you think that's changing? And do you think in some ways that we can use this crisis? Because again, it is, I mean, energy security comes both ways, right? It's security of supply and demand, right? And how do you think Europe moves forward here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is um, this is a moment where we um, we all woke up on on the fact that we are um, very dependent on the rest of the world for energy. Now, being dependent on the rest of the world in itself should not be a, a gigantic issue. I mean, I still believe that free trade throughout the world has been an incredible force of bringing prosperity. And I think the last thing we should do as Europeans is turn our back to the rest of the world. We will continue to be the number one trading partner of the rest of the world. And it's important for us, it's important for the rest of the world as well. But we need more diversification on technology of energy, but also on the sources of energy, on the, 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 where the energy is coming from. And we have something that is it's just outside here. It's the North Sea. And the North Sea is an incredible potential of, uh, of, of energy. And the potential we have in offshore wind is a gigantic one. Now, if we want to do it the right way, we have to link different countries together. A few months ago, there was a summit in Eschberg where Germany, uh, Belgium, uh, the Netherlands, and Denmark uh, agreed on, on, on the potential of de developing that. I think that should be broader. I think that should be broad, broadened with Norway. I think it should be broadened with United Kingdom. And I think it should be broadened the other way as well. The potential in France and in, and in, um, and in Spain and Portugal is an enormous one. It can only be used if we connect our countries well together. And I know that you know, connection electricity connection between countries, I know it is not the easiest, uh, the easiest topic these days, but take a longer term perspective. Take a perspective of 10, 20 years. I mean, the potential we have in stabilizing our energy supply is a gigantic one. And the potential we have in renewable is a gigantic one. And of the, of the seas, and of what we have in hydro, and in what we, the, the potential for solar we have. But it'll only work, of course, if we bring Europe together with, with networks and with joint infrastructure and, uh, and, and so on. And let me just finish with, with how I finished my speech. This is about energy. And of course, it is about economics, and it is about prosperity. But in the end, it's about the stabilization of the European continent. And we've shown our vulnerability. We have to find a solution to that vulnerability. And the elements of that, of that solution are there. And you will be partners in constructing that, because energy is economics. And economics means profit. And profit is not wrong. Profit is a good thing. If we want, there's no activity that is sustainable if there's not profit at some point. And if we want investments, there needs to be a perspective on profit. Now, I'm talking about reasonable profits. And there are some profits which today are very difficult to explain. I've made my point about, uh, about that. But developing that economic potential, I think it's crucial to stabilize our democracies. And that, for me, is the bigger topic. 
Prime Minister, thank you so much. I think everyone here uh, will say and absolutely join me in saying you've been so candid on some of pretty thorny issues. Congratulations for being candid because it means a lot because, you know, otherwise you often have politicians who come and not answer the, answer the very difficult questions. So thank you very, very much um, for being here, uh, for giving the European perspective, which is so, so important at this stage, and sharing your thoughts and good luck with what is going to be challenging. But I share your optimism. I think, you know, as again, if we are united, we can definitely get through this. So thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. You just heard the Prime Minister of Belgium, Alexander de Croo, and Dr. Amrita Sen discuss coexistence in the energy market at the ONS conference Monday, 29th of August, 2022. Stay tuned and subscribe to ONS Energy Talks, where you find your podcasts to hear more highlights from ONS in the months to come.